Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Suspense. And the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. The effect of the tropics upon the female of the species has held in a special fascination for writers ever since the Pax Britannica assured an empire upon which, until recently, the sun never set. Richard Weald is no exception to this predilection of authors. He has written for us a tale of the South Seas under the Pax Americana, a triangular tale of a woman's boredom, a man's devotion, and another man's love. Listen then to Thou Shalt Not Commit, starring Mr. Victor Jory. Now, Mr. Victor Jory in Thou Shalt Not Commit, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. My name, Luelli. Me houseboy for Dr. Blair. Me work for him and Missy Blair ever since they come to Maui, maybe oh, seven, eight months ago. When they first come, while we building house for them and other place Dr. Blair call laboratory, they all the time happy, all the time laugh a lot. But now it's different. Now it's no more laugh. It's Fight. I'm fed up, Carl. Fed up to hear. I've had it. Sounds as though you got up on the wrong side of your disposition this morning. Very funny. I'm sorry, darling. Sorry isn't enough. That's a pretty cruel thing to say. You're a pretty cruel man, Carl. Cruel? And selfish. Dragging me down here to keep you company, you said. Well, who's going to keep me company? Lisa. Oh, what I would give for just one leisurely luncheon at the colony and the opening night of a Broadway musical and a few laughs afterward in the cub room. You weren't exactly dragged here, Lisa. We discussed this move at great length before we made it. The only two white people on a dirty little South Pacific island a thousand miles from nowhere. I wouldn't say that dirty was precisely the word to describe Maui Ia. And you out here in your precious laboratory 10, 12, 14 hours a day. What am I supposed to be doing while you're saving the world from tropical disease? Take me back to New York, Carl. Back where I belong. We can't go back to New York, Lisa. At least not for a while. I can't leave my research now. Not yet. So a bunch of filthy natives are more important to you than your own wife? No, but... I know this sounds stuffy, but nothing is more important to me than my obligation to humanity. Great. 
So you stay here and fulfill your obligation to humanity. Me? I'm going home. If you insist on leaving, I can't stop you. Or rather, I won't. But I can try to keep you here with me, can't I? How? By trying to make you know how much I love you. Give me three weeks. It'll be three weeks before the Samoa Bell puts in here again. And, my darling, a great many things can happen in three weeks. Now, Master and Missy seem happy almost like before. Master don't spend so much time along laboratory, no. He and Missy swim together and spear fish, and Missy start to paint again. Master sit on the palm tree dressed in lava lava with a wreath of hibiscus around his neck. He so brown from sun and wind, he look like one of my people. I think Missy like the way he look because by and by, she put down brush and go over and sit beside him. Tired, dear? No. Just wanted to sit beside you. That all? No. I also wanted to kiss you. I think that might be arranged. (sighs) That was eminently satisfactory, darling. Almost as pagan as your costume. I'm not really pagan at all, Lisa. Don't you think perhaps with a little encouragement you could... But uh, when the chips... Hey. What's that? What's what? I think the proper technical expression is sail hole. Where? See ya? Way out there. Hold down on the horizon. Oh, do you suppose it's the Samoa Bell? No. The Bell is a three-master. That boat has only two. She heading this way? Probably not. Ah, well, all play and no work, you know. I must get back to the lab. I know, dear. Do we paint tomorrow? Probably. But... And just what, my little linguist, does that mean? Lueli taught it to me. It means, here on Malwea, we live but one day at a time. Oh, we find out pretty soon that boat master see belong along one fella, Captain Burke. Captain Burke, he anchor in lagoon and come ashore just about sundown. I helping Master in laboratory when he talk along my uncle, Taieri. Now, these skin eruptions tell the whole story, Taieri. You're suffering from yours. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> That's what I thought. Tell him I'm going to take a specimen of his blood, Luili. It won't hurt him. There. He can go now. I want him back here by nine o'clock tonight. It's important that he be on time. Tell him that. You better run up to the house now, Luella, and tell Missy Blair that I'll be there in a few minutes. Dr. Livingston, I presume? Huh? <laughs> Unfortunately, the records don't reveal what Livingston replied to Stanley. <laughs> I'm Terry Burke, Doctor. That's my schooner, the Wanderer, anchored out there in the lagoon. Oh, I've heard a great deal about you, Captain Burke. Welcome to Malwea. Thanks. You see, I've heard a lot about you, too. Really? Why, I had no oh, idea. Come on now, Doctor. No false modesty. You're quite well known, considering the short time you've been on the islands. Well, now it's my turn to thank you. Really? Yes, Martha. Go up to the house and set out some drinks. And tell Missy that we have a dinner guest. Oh, forgive me, Captain. You will dine with us, won't you? 
I want you to meet my wife. <laughs> I'd be delighted, Doctor. I've heard a lot about her, too. Yes, Mrs. Blair, he was quite a guy. They called him Bully Hayes. He sailed the islands from the Philippines to the Marquesas, doing as he pleased, making his own laws, and taking what he wanted. He sounds utterly fascinating. If you like pirates, that is. I heard Luelli refer to you as Bully Burke, Captain. Did you earn your nickname that way? Not exactly. Well, how, how did you get it, then? Oh, I skippered a PT boat in the last war. Well, I guess you might say I ran a taut ship. Not happy, maybe, but taut. So my crew called me Bully Burke. Behind my back, of course. Where was this, Captain? Oh, we played tag with Tojo all over the South Pacific. I had it right up to here. Were you at it long? Started in as an enlisted man, ended up with two stripes on my sleeve. You don't do that in 20 minutes. Why didn't you stay with it, Captain? I should imagine that for a man like you... They would... tell you what to do in the Navy, Mrs. Blair. And I was never much good at taking orders. Like Bully Hayes, Captain? Doing as he pleased, making his own laws and... taking what he wanted? That's about it. Do you take what you want, Captain Burke? I'm strong enough to get away with it. Yes. Captain, you've just set civilization back 5,000 years. Now, I must ask you to excuse me for a little while. But, Carl... I told Tatieri to be at the lab at 9. It's a question of timing his treatments. Llewellyn, I'll need you with me. Yes, my son. I'll be back shortly. Excuse me, please. You know, Mrs. Blair, I know a fellow once, over an old mayor, who owned the most beautiful pearl I've ever seen. It's flawless, perfectly formed, and it glowed as though it were lighted from inside. The minute I saw it, I knew I had to have it. I told him the name was Price, but he said he wasn't selling. It must have been pretty frustrating for you. Oh, it was pretty stupid of him. You see, he didn't guard it as carefully Captain as he should have. Captain Burke, you didn't. I'll show it to you sometime. As a matter of fact, I'd like to see it against your skin. I wonder why I'm not as shocked as I should be. You're not shocked at all. You love it. Am I as obvious as all that? Maybe not to some men. Certainly not to your husband. But to me. Each of us knows what the other is thinking. That's right. If, for example, I said that I wanted to take you out on the lanai and show you my orchid... That's easy. You want to be kissed. But if it happened in here... We'd be in plain sight of the laboratory. Correct? I'm afraid so. Well? Why not? No more, Jerry. Not now. Uh, Take me back inside and give me a chance to pull myself together before Carl... Wait. Put your arms around me. Kiss me once more. Oh, Terry, Terry. What are you doing to me? Well, 
opens up another day's work. Oh, Carl, I've been trying to persuade Captain Burke to spend a little more time with us. And I was telling Mrs. Blair that I can't possibly do it, at least not this time. I have a hole full of copra that's doing papieri right now. But you will come back, won't you? Oh, please say yes. We'd love to have you. Well, I'll tell you, Mrs. Blair. I figured on having my boat hauled out while I wasn't papieri, but if it's all right with you and the doctor, I'll come on back here and... My crew can Karina right down on the beach. We'd be delighted to have you, wouldn't we, Carl? We would indeed. Of course, there's a condition attached to it. What's that? You're going to have to tell me some more of your fascinating stories. You mean about, uh, pearling? Particularly about pearling. I like those best of all. All right. I'll be back in two weeks. Three at the outside. That gives us something to look forward to. Same here. Well, I got to get aboard. We're sailing at dawn. I'll be back. You can count on that? You can count on it, Doctor. I'll be back. Captain Buck, he come back just like he say. When he anchor in lagoon and row ashore, Missy, she stand waiting. He get out of boat and say, You are Rana? And she put wreath she make from ginger blossoms round his neck. Then they walk up to house together, just the two. Master not there. He busy in laboratory. Carl asked me to make his apologies, Terry. He seems to be on the verge of discovering whatever he's trying to discover. He's been out there in the laboratory now for at least 20 straight hours. And what have you been doing for those 20 straight hours? Trying to sleep, at least part of the time. And if you must know, not doing too good a job of it. Why not? Because... Because I was waiting for you. I... I haven't had a good night's sleep since you left. Any new orchids since I was here last? Suppose we look after dinner. We may not get a chance. The barometer's been falling for the past 24 hours. What does that mean? At this time of the year and in this neck of the woods, just one thing. Typhoon. Then we can't get away tonight. We? Yes. I've made up my mind, Terry. Are you sure? I'm sure. Then we'll get away. If not tonight, then tomorrow or the day after. But we'll get away. <laughs> More coffee, Captain? No, thanks, Mrs. Blair. Oh, that wind, it makes me so nervous. Uh, it's only blowing about 30 miles an hour now. We're in for it. By midnight, it'll be doing better than 100. I don't like it. It's not the wind, Mrs. Blair. It's the atmospheric conditions that go with it. You notice anything unusual, Doctor? Hmm. Since you mention it, I do. A feeling of apprehension is... Though something indescribably dreadful were about to happen. That's right. That's what a typhoon does to you. 
By the way, do you have storm shutters? Indeed we do. Better get them up. It's a good idea. Luelli. Yes, my sir. Captain Burke says we'll be needing the shutters. Get a couple of the boys to help you put them up. Yes, my sir. And I'd better go and see if things are secure in the laboratory. If you'll excuse me, please, I'll be back shortly. Are you sure you want me, Terry? I think you know the answer. But I better tell you right now that there aren't any guarantees. We may be together 20 years from now. Or I may leave you on the beach the first port we come to. You won't. Maybe not. Maybe someday you'll walk out on me just like you're walking out on him. No. Of that I'm sure. Carl is sweet. He's good. That means he's tame and drab and commonplace. But you... You're a man. That's what I need, Terry, a man. That's what I've searched for all my life. That's what I've got to have. Well, I'll tell you this much, you won't be... What, what is it, Carl? What's the matter, Doily? Oh, we're fixing shutters in laboratory. All of a sudden, a master make funny noise. That's my side, Lisa. A pain here. Sit down, Carl. I'll get you some water. No, thanks. All I... All I need is a little rest... It's subsiding already. Just the same, I'm going to put you to bed. Help me, Llewelyn. Yes, Missy. Want me to give you a hand? No, thanks. We'll manage. Come, Carl. Yes, dear. Take it easy. I will, Captain. You'll take care of Lisa, won't you? She's never been through a typhoon before. I thought he'd never go to sleep. How's the pain? We said it was better. I gave him some phenobarb and it seemed to help. It isn't anything serious, is it? Well, I hardly think so. He's just been working too hard. Well, what do we do now? You had your instructions, didn't you? By the way, just how do you take care of a lady during a typhoon? Like this? Oh, yes. Like this. All I want in the world is to be near you, to be in your arms like this. Oh, I... I'm sorry. Now, look, Doc, I can... I'm sure you can, Captain. Well, I can't say you didn't warn me, can I? You told me very emphatically that you took what you wanted. What are you going to do about it, Claire? There isn't very much I can do. You see, within 36 hours, I'll be dead. Carl! Yes, Lisa? I have acute appendicitis. Oh, no. Look, just as soon as this blow is over, I'll put you aboard my boat and we'll... The nearest doctor is seven days' sail from here. I have it outside a day and a half. There must be something we can do. Captain Burke, under my direction, might be able to perform an emergency appendectomy. Carl, that's impossible. No, it isn't. It's been done before. I've read about it. But not under these circumstances. Hey, Captain? You think I can do it? Undoubtedly. All you have to do is follow instructions. But the question in my mind... I know. I'm asking myself the same question. When do we start? Sooner the better. You'll want the Whaley to help you? No, Lisa. I want you to help. Me? Precisely. 
I thought we'd keep this a sort of a family affair. Let's get on with it. I like your attitude, Captain. You seem to be every bit as eager to know how this little experiment is going to work as... as I am. Now, even the average layman is familiar with most of these things, Captain. Scalpels, scissors, forceps. I know what they are. Good. Now, the first incision is made right here. That's what we call McBurney's Point. You do it with this scalpel. A cut of approximately an inch and a half. Then you go deeper with this one. Tell me something, Blair. Are you scared? Not in the least. Are you? Nope. Just curious. So am I. What are you curious about? I want to find out all I can about the man my wife is going to leave me for. Well, Captain, the anesthetic will take hold in a moment. We'll be ready to begin. Just one more thing before we do. Regardless of how this works out, be good to Lisa, won't you? You see, I happen to love her very much. Now, the first incision, Captain. That's scalpel, Lisa. That's perfect, Captain. Pads, Lisa. Now we look for the aponeurosis. Hello, scalpel, Lisa. That's it. We go through two layers now. I must tell you, Captain, the tiniest false move at this point would assuredly cause my death and... You couldn't possibly be blamed for it. It's worth considering, Captain. Oh, that one really shook the house, didn't it? It might just as easily shake your hand. I don't need you to put ideas in my head, Blair. What do I do now? Now we expose the rectus muscle, Captain. As you see, it's in a sort of a sheath... Clamps, Captain. The job is done. A right good job, I'd say. Lisa, my dear, you'd better pour yourself a drink. You look like you could use one. Is there anything more we must do? Oh, yes. The Demerol hypo you prepared. Here. That's right. Just a moment, Lisa. You haven't removed the excess air. That, too, could be fatal. I, I'm sorry. I guess I am a bit shaken. No, it's all right. Thank you. There. I'll be asleep in a moment. Well, Captain, Lisa, I don't imagine I'll be seeing you again. I want to thank you for what you've done. And I want to wish you both a great deal of happiness. How do you figure a guy like that? 
What he should have done was take a shot at me. Knowing Carl, I'd say he was afraid to. That's just it. You don't know him. He's not afraid of anything. He proved that when he let me stick knives in him. Well, it seems to me he had very little choice in the matter. It was either that or die. Wrong again. He could have performed the operation himself. That's been done, too. Could? Why didn't you tell him to do it, then? I guess I was just as anxious as he was. To find out what kind of a man his wife was leaving him for? That's right. And did you find out? Yeah. Well, the wind's easing off. I better get down to the lagoon and see if my boat's still in one piece. Goodbye, Lisa. Goodbye? Just like that? Goodbye? What about me? What happens to me now? I don't know, Lisa. You'll have to work that one out for yourself. But I know this now. Somewhere, someday, on some beach, I would have left you. It's better that I leave you here now on this beach. I haven't got what it takes to love a woman like you. He has. He still does. Goodbye, Lisa. Terry! Terry! Goodbye, Lisa. Hello, Ailey. Yes, Master. The storm is over, huh? Oh, yes, Master. Since this morning early. And Captain Burke... Ye go, master. I see. May I have a sip of water, please? Yes, master. I get from other room. Llewellyn. Oh, Missy. Llewellyn not know you're still here. But I am Llewellyn. And I'll take that tray. Yes, Missy. Brought your water, Carl, but you're only to have a spoonful. Lisa, I thought you... I thought I was, too, but I didn't. That makes me very happy. I don't know why it should. I'm not much good, you know. Don't judge yourself too harshly. (laughs) After all, these are the tropics. Where all sorts of things blow in from the sea. And blow back out again. Like our first typhoon. That's right. And do you know, I don't think it did any permanent damage. I don't think it did either. starred in William N. Robeson's production of Thou Shalt Not Commit, written for suspense by Richard Weil. Listen. Listen again next week when we bring you another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Supporting Mr. Jory in Thou Shalt Not Commit were Ellen Morgan, Ben Wright, Joe DeSantis, and Andy Iona.
This is the CBS Radio Network. This is your personality station in Scranton, WGBI 910 on the dial. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. You know the old saw about the importance of trivial things. For the want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, the horse was lost, and so on. Take a dime, for instance. One thin dime. Just chicken feed. Yet it can make the difference between life and death, as it does in the story you are about to hear. Listen, then and ponder on the potential dimensions of trivia as Lloyd Bridges stars in Chicken Feed. Now. Mr. Lloyd Bridges in Chicken Feed. A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. It was a silly thing to fight over, I admit. But there it was. A dime. A measly thin dime. Chicken feed. Of course, that was only the beginning. See, Junior asked for a dime, and I flipped it over to him. And after he left the room, Mary said I shouldn't spoil the kid. It was time he learned the value of money. And I said, well, great, Scott. If I couldn't give my own child a dime without her jumping down my throat... Oh, you know how those things get going. You keep saying things you shouldn't, and she lashes out with an answer. And before you know it, you've stormed out of the house, and you're taking it out on the car. Fifty miles cooled me down a little, but not much. I automatically slowed up when I came to the sign, You are now entering Lansing, California. Go slow and see our town. Go fast and see our jail. Everybody knew Lansing. A speed trap. A tough town. Driving at a normal speed through the quiet Sunday street gave me time to think of something besides the biting words Mary and I had slugged at each other. I pulled up at a little cafe next to the police station. Had a whitewashed sign in the window. Best cup of coffee in town for ten cents. How you have your eggs this morning, Sherlock? Same as always. Nobody's a scotch with a fried potato. I resent that, Officer Brady. And what's more, my whole family resents it. Too over easy, Sam. Heavy on the fried. What's yours, mister? Coffee, please. Coming up. Here you are. Say, Officer Brady, how's your starboard order? Phillips, they're coming for him in the morning. Think you'll be able to hold him till then? He got out of that Bennington jail like a paper bag. Don't worry, sister. Oh, listen to what happened here while I sip my coffee. Best cup of coffee in town for a dime. That reminded me of our argument over a dime. Uh, That's about all a dime's good for, I guess. Cup of coffee, newspaper, phone call. There's a stack of the local papers nearby, and I pulled one over to look at it. This Phillips was on the front page. Bank robber. Killed the teller. Uh, He had a face I wouldn't want to run into. Close. After a while, the hot coffee cut through the icy core of resentment I'd carried out of the house with me. Maybe, uh, maybe I'd been at fault as much as Mary. She wasn't the only one who had a bad temper. 
On a sudden impulse, I left my coffee and went over to the phone, the far wall. I heard the dial tone, then I fished in my pocket for change. It was empty. Uh, say, miss, could you change a dollar for me? I want to use it for. Yes, sir. Uh, what the... Uh, what's the matter, mister? Well, uh, my, my wallet, I seem to... Uh, look, I, I, I'll be back in a minute, huh? No, Mary wasn't the only one with a temper. I'd stormed out of the house without changing the contents of my pockets to my clean suit. I didn't have a dime on me, not even a nickel. I uh, rummaged in the glove compartment of the car. Mary sometimes left a coin purse. But this time, naturally, it wasn't there. I felt like a fool. And then... What seems to be the trouble, mister? Oh, hello, officer. I seem to have come off without any money. It's embarrassing. Yeah, embarrassing. I didn't realize it until I tried the phone. I'll, uh... Well, I'll have to send that uh, girl a dime for the coffee as soon as I get back to town. You will, huh? Well, I don't know what else I can do under the circumstances. Uh, I'd better go inside and tell her. Hold on a minute. Huh? Where's your driver's license? <laughs> it's in my wallet in San Francisco. You got any other identification? Well, uh, the, uh, the registration slip in the car. That's the car. What about you? Me? Well, I, I just got through telling you. Officer, I, I'm Ralph Clark. Clark and Jacobs in the Hatfield building? We're, we're attorneys. Attorneys. I should have a card here somewhere. You're kind of far from home to be without any dough, aren't you? Well, I, I, I came out of the house without changing the stuff into this suit. You know how it yeah. is. I... How'd you happen to have the keys to the car? Well, I don't take them out when, I, when it's in the garage. Hey, you, you don't think... Where I... are you headed for? Well, I know it sounds funny, but nowhere, really. See, I had a fight with my wife, and I, I just batted out of the house to cool off. I'll tell you what, Mr. Clark, suppose we just mosey into the station house. Station house? Hey, what is this? Nothing, nothing at all. Just next door, and you can call your way from there. I don't see why that's necessary. If you just lend me a dime, I, I could go... Well, I could go right in here and reverse the charges. Let's go. You can leave the car here. I'll take that key. Now, look here, officer. I, I don't get it. Move. I... Come on, move. All right, Jim. What you got this time? Tell you better after he makes a call. Give me the phone, will you, Ross? It's out of order. When did, half an hour ago. Did you report it? Yeah. They said they can't have a man here before tomorrow. Did you tell him this is a police station for Pete's sake? Sure, I told him. Oh, it's not bad, though. We can get incoming calls. They still got the pay phone over there. Yeah, there's the pay phone, Mr. Clark. You can make your call from there. I don't have any money, remember? Oh, yeah. Okay. Here's the dime. Gee, thanks. Let me speak to your wife when you get her. Uh, this is going to sound fine, just fine. Do you think I've really tied one on? Operator. Uh, I want to call San Francisco, Geary 49978. Hey, and reverse the charges, please. Thank you. Your number, please? Uh, this is uh, 460. Hello? I have a collect call from Lansing, California, for Geary 49978. Will you accept the charges? Lansing. I don't know. It's me, Mary. Take the call. Oh, it's you, is it? What do you think you're doing 50 miles Will you accept the call, madam? I should say nothing. Mary, Mary, wait, hey, hey. I am sorry. The party will not accept the call. Look, look, operator, get it back, will you? This is important. I will ring them again. Thanks. Oh, why didn't you pick up that phone? Your party does not answer. (laughs) No soap, huh? 
Hey, they kept our dime. Well, you shouldn't have slammed it, sir. Let me have another one, will you? I'll get a hold of my partner, huh? He'll identify me. Look, we've wasted enough time. Get in there. That's the cells. Right. You're locking me up? Right again. What's the big idea? I didn't do anything. What are you charging me with? Don't have to charge you with anything. I'm holding you on suspicion. Suspicion? Suspicion of what? Defrauding the cafe, for one thing. And then I want to check that car. Do you think I stole it? It's been done. Oh, now, wait. Look, if you let You're me... You're entitled phone... to one call. You've had it. Oh, this is fantastic. I demand to be brought before a magistrate immediately. Are you kidding? In this town on Sunday? In the middle of dove hunting season? Oh, look here, <laughs> my officer. Now, if you won't let me phone, my partner, he'll clear up everything. Inside. <laughs> One big room. Along one side of it ran three barred cubicles, each just large enough to hold a bunk. Two of the cubicles were opened, and the occupants, a couple of sodden, bleary-eyed drunks, lounged in the open space on a wooden bench that was the only furniture. A sickening odor cut through the disinfectant smell of the place. <laughs> Welcome to our jail. Stink part of the side of the wave of the valley, eh, Slim? Ah, uh, you said. What's your beef, John? Suspicion. Can you feature that? Suspicion. And they won't even give me a dime to phone. You mean... You mean you ain't even got a dime? No, you see, I, uh... Yeah, that's too bad. Ain't it, Pete? Sure is. Wish we could help you out. Well, maybe we could at that. Hey, have you got a dime? Well, sure. I got two of them. Uh, will you lend me one? Just one. I'll pay you back. <laughs> I- I'll send you ten dollars just as soon as I can get out of here. Well, what's it worth to each of them? I just told you. Ten dollars. Yeah, yeah, I know. A fire in the sky, though. What's it worth now? I mean, I, I can get me a pack of smokes with 20 cents. Give you a dime, I can't get me nothing. You got any smokes on you? No, I wish I had. I left everything in the pockets of my other suit, but... <laughs> my wristwatch. Why didn't I think of that before? Well, what's the matter with it? It's nothing. Nothing's the matter with it. It's worth $50. Here. Here, you, you look at it. it. It's yours for 10 cents. For one thin dime. Look, what can you lose? There yeah, must be something wrong with it. Is it hot? Hot? You mean stolen? Of course not. Well, what you offering it for a dime for? I want to get out of this filthy place. Oh, you you don't like our company, is that it? <laughs> if you want to put it that way, no, I don't. Hey, what, what do you think of that, Pete? That man, he don't like our company. We don't smell good to him or something. Well, now, ain't that just too bad? What do you think of that, Mr. Phillips? He don't like us. Have you got any dimes, Mr. Phillips? <laughs> followed his glance. For the first time, I saw deep in the gloom of the locked cubicle the face I'd seen on the front page of the newspaper. The face I'd said that I wouldn't want to run into close. Well, it was close. And I was glad that there were bars between us. Of course, now, us guys, we ain't much. Yeah, but Mr. Phillips here, now, he's a big shot. He robbed four banks and broke out of two jails. Killed a man, too. Hey, sure, we're just vags, but Mr. Phillips, he's going to the hot seat. They're coming to get them and take them back to Nevada and burn them. Oh, no, no, Peter. They don't burn them in Nevada. They shoot them. Ain't that right, Mr. Phillips? Mr. Phillips don't want to talk about it. Well, Mr. Phillips don't want to talk about nothing. Mr. Phillips ain't very sociable. Just like this stiff. Oh, now, look, fellas. I didn't mean... Look, I just meant that I wanted to get out of this jail. Here, take the watch and give me the dime, huh? Okay, now, I'll tell you what. I'll match your foot. Match me? Yeah, a dime again to watch. Well, uh, well, that's fair. And I got me a fair chance to get my six, and you got you a chance to get your dime free. 
mafia, but I'd rather... Take it or leave it. Well, all right. All right, now you leave Petey Hole to watch. I'll flip the dime on the floor and you call. Heads. Tails, I win. Hey, wait a minute. Get your foot off of it. How do you know it's Tails? It's Tails. Ain't it, Petey? Well, sure, it's Tails, all right. Here's Watson. Hey, what is this? Watch it, brother. You're not going to get away with this. Oh, get him, Pete. Don't! Don't! Yeah. Yeah. That'll on you. This is for kneeing me. Hey, don't! Hey! Hey, what goes on Pops. here? It hey, ain't nothing. This new guy is acting yeah, like this. Yeah, it's just new guy. Quiet down in there. Trying to get us in trouble, huh? No, no, no. no. Look, fellas, for heaven's sake. Shut up. Okay. Kangaroo. I'll be judge, you be prosecuted. Right. Uh, All right, prisoner at the bar, stand up. Oh, I said, oh, cut it out. Will you? Yes, shut up. Yeah. All right, counselor. What is the prisoner charged with? Well, you want to know? This man here is a desperate criminal. He's charged with breaking into jail, insulting his fellow boarders, poor sportsmanship, and fighting. He's a very dangerous character, you want to Yeah. Guilty on all counts. Uh... I find you <laughs> ten cents. <laughs> you know I'm gonna die. Can't pay you. Well then, uh, you can work it out. Rate of one cent a day. Yeah, first job be to shine the course shoes. <laughs> shine your own shoes. Oh, she could be like that, huh? Hold him, Slater. Yeah, sure. Hey, officer! Officer! Hey, shut up. Officer! I'm down in there. I'll come and give us something to squawk about. You hear that? Another peep out in you. You're going to get it again. You understand? Yes. All right. Now get on them shoes. Well, I, I, I don't have... I don't have anything to shine them with. You got a coat, ain't you? <laughs> now get going. The next hours were unadulterated agony. It was unbelievable. The filthy and human jobs they could think up for me to do. It was frightening. With every move I made, I could feel the glittering, steely eyes of the silent man in the locked cage, following me, weighing me. Finally, when they couldn't think of anything more, they forced me to stand at attention, looking right into Philip's cell. They couldn't see his face. It was too close to mine. But he winked at me and nodded his head as though it were a signal. And then his two huge arms came through the bars and thrust me, reeling, across the cell. I fell and hit my head. That's all I remember. In a moment, we continue with... Suspense. No parent we know has ever consciously dodged a responsibility to his children. That's why CBS Radio is sure you'll want to act now and learn what you can do about the crisis looming in our universities and colleges. Right now, our institutions are bursting at the seams. America's high birth rate points toward an acute emergency in education in the years ahead. If your children are to have the higher education they'll want and need in order to fulfill their adult obligations, we must all face up to the issue and do what must be done to make sure our colleges get the space, the equipment, and the trained personnel that will be needed. Like to have the facts of the situation, write to Higher Education, Box 36, Times Square Station, New York 36, for a free booklet entitled The Closing College Door. It delineates the problem clearly. It outlines what you can do to help remedy the situation. Write for your copy today. The address again is Higher Education, 
Box 36, Times Square Station, New York 36. And now... We continue with Chicken Feed, starring Mr. Lloyd Bridges. A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. I don't know what time it was, two or three in the morning, when I felt a stealthy touch in my shoulder. I opened my eyes. I was still on the stone floor. And Phillips was bending over me, holding a revolver. I started to speak, but he clapped a hand over my mouth. Shh, you fool. You want to wake them punks? Get up quick and be quiet about it. I glanced quickly at Phillips' cell. It was open, and so was the door to the corridor. He pushed me out and locked the door behind us. In his office, bound and gagged securely to his desk chair, Sergeant Ross glared at us. The empty holster at his side told where Phillips had got his gun. Here. Which is the key to your car? Uh, this one. Okay. Take it and let's move. Ah, we made it. Big <laughs> bulls. They panic me. Guy could spring that crock with a hairpin. You nearly done a fine job of lousing things up. What happened to you getting thrown in the can in the middle of the day? Huh? They picked me up on suspicion. Oh, it wasn't supposed to be till midnight tonight. What? And all that phony kid stuff about the dime. The dime? Yeah, all that double talk. When all you had to do was slip me the word that Jerry Diamond sent you. Served you right the way them luscious treated you, acting like a died in the wolf square. Jerry Diamond. Diamond. My numb brain slowly put the meaning of his words into shape. He thought... He thought that I was an accomplice. Sent by a partner to help him break jail. But all my screams about a dime had been nothing but a signal to him. A signal that I came from Jerry Diamond. I cast a quick glance sideways at the revolver held loosely but ready in his lap. At the eyes that never lost their iciness even when he laughed. It wasn't hard to guess what he would do when he found out his mistake. Jerry, you got the hideout set up? Uh, yes. Where is it? The hideout? The hideout. We're going to Jerry's place first, right? Then what? Uh, well, I'll take you to Jerry's, and uh, then he'll take over from there. Mm. How far is it to Jerry's? Can't be more than about five miles, is it? Well, it's... Uh, look behind you. Huh? What's the matter? There's a car following us without lights. Where? Well, I don't see... What the... Hey, 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 what's the big idea? You trying to cross me? Uh, I couldn't help it. My, my foot uh, slammed on the brake. That car. We've got to get out of here. All right. Go ahead. Get it started. Come on, come get on. Started. All right. I'm getting out to let car pass us. You make for the other side. And no tricks. Just to make sure, I'll take this key. I had made myself a chance, and I took it. I slipped out of the car on the other side and ran across the fields until I could run no more. After a long time, I found a road. And after a while of tramping along that road, a dark shape loomed up before me, a gas station. And through the glass, I could make out the outline of a telephone. I tried the door. It was locked, of course. But I found a tire iron and sprang the latch. I ran to the phone to make my call. And then I saw the coin slot, gaping at me like a laughing mouth. In a rage, I shook the black box. I could hear the dimes inside, behind a sheet of metal no thicker than a playing card. 
yet as inaccessible as the moon. But there must be some money in this room. My eyes focused on the battered desk. There was some change in it and a couple of dollar bills. The kind of money that a man will leave as a sop to possible burglars. Burglars? That meant me. Carefully, I abstracted a single dime and went to the phone. Please. Uh, get me San Francisco. Fillmore, 33265. It's Morris Jacobs. Uh, tell him uh, this is his partner, Ralph Clark, and ask him to accept the charges. Thank you. There's an interruption on the line, and there may be a slight delay, sir. Will you hold on, or shall I ring you? Yeah, I'll hold on, but hurry, operator. It's important. One moment, please. As I waited, a glint of light pulled my eyes away from the phone. Far down the road, the headlights of a car joggled over the rise and aimed toward me. It was the first car to come by since I'd hit the road... It might be a stray, a farmer starting out before sunup, but I couldn't take the chance. Hastily, I hung up the receiver, closed the cash drawer, and snapped the lock on the door. Then I crouched beneath the desk, and not a moment too soon. Open up! Hey! I've tried to wake this character before. Sleeps like a dead man. Especially if he's back on the bottle again. We'll get him up. Hey, Jerry! Then I heard the creak of bed springs from the rear of the station. The light appeared under an inside door. It opened, and two hairy barefoot legs under a flannel nightgown came through and made for the front door. Who is it? Brady and Ross, up and up. <laughs> You're a fine bunch of cops running out of gas in the middle of the night. Come on in. That's chilly with the door open. It ain't gas, pal. Phillips broke jail. Huh? How'd he do it? Well, there was two of them. He had an accomplice. Said he was a lawyer. First thing I know, I'm looking into the muzzle of my own gun. You know, they say Phillips used to work for Houdini once. All but... right, Ross, we don't have all night. Point is, we found their car abandoned on the road back of Ferris's Hopfield. Ran out of gas. It can't be far away. Hmm. Hey, there was a big reward for Phillips after he broke jail at Bennington, wasn't there? Yeah, a thousand dollars. Say, Jerry, you know him, don't you? You were in the Bennington pokey when he made that break. What was it, a drunk and disorderly or something? Yeah. Yeah, had me a little too much and broke a window in the general store. We were roommates for the night. I was pretty scared. How'd he do it? The break. I don't know. I was sleeping at all. Thousand dollars reward, huh? Man could do a lot with a thousand dollars. Not dead, he couldn't. Don't you go getting any ideas now. That Phillips is a killer and so is his partner, most likely. Well, I ain't exactly helpless myself. Got a nice little fella on my side. Now, you take my advice, chum, and put that gun away. They show up here, you talk soft and let us do the capturing. Sure, sure, I'll play safe. Well, we'll be going. Just wanted to alert you, Jack. Yeah, thanks. So long, boys. All right, you. Come out from under that desk. Come on out, I say. This gun's getting mighty nervous. Now, get your hands up. Stand over there. Uh, now, I'll look, mister. I... I'll do the talking. Who are you? you got to believe me. I'm not a criminal. I'm a lawyer. Oh, so you must be the other one. Keep them hands up. I got into this by accident. He helped me escape, yes, but... Where is Phillips? I left him in the car. That's another thing. You can get the reward. I know who he's going to meet. They're going to a hideout. Oh, I see. Well, who is he going to meet? Somebody named Jerry Diamond. There. There. If you let me get to that phone, I can clear up everything. No, you don't. You stay where you are, I'll plug you. But that's my partner, my law partner in San Francisco. I only broke in here so I could phone him. He'll identify me. <laughs> so 
<laughs> you don't believe me. Oh, I believe you. Well, answer it yourself. Huh? You'll see. Not on your life, mister. You think I'm out of my mind? But you've got to answer it. You don't know what I went through to place that call. You can't just stand it. Jerry. You're Jerry Diamond. That's right. Jerry. Jerry. Who's that? Turn off that light, too. Phillips. Stand over there by the window where you see you. Go on. Jerry. Come on in, Phillips. I ran out of gas and that punk that he said. It happened so fast that for a moment I had no reaction at all. None. I just watched it. Watched Phillips holding his chest with both hands. Watched that giant body twist convulsively on the floor and then lie still. Watched Jerry bend over him and then straighten up. Then as he turned grinning, my emotion, my, my feeling came back. And what I felt was seething, overpowering rage, fury. Everything I'd been through this night was like a boiler that had to burst. Dead or alive. I just made me a thousand bucks. You foul, stinking old man. Huh? You're worse than he is. Ah, shut up. Maybe I'll get a reward for you, too. A small one. I could feel the bullet land on my side, just below the bell. The avenues of pain spread out like the cracks in a hammered window glass. But somehow, strangely, it didn't stop me. I kept moving toward him. He backed away, surprised. He was aiming for another shot when we grappled. I got the gun, and he got my throat. I stumbled. I held onto his hand that was holding the gun. I wouldn't let go. And as he fell backwards into the chair, I was on top of him. And as we threshed around there on the floor, I brought his hand up suddenly and smashed the gun into his face. And then he lay still. I listened to his heart. He was all right. He was all right. Then I realized that... that I was all right. Yet he'd shot me, hit me. I should be lying there on the plank floor instead of that grotesque heap in the shapeless flannel nightgown. I felt my side where the bullet had struck. Brought my hand away. There was no blood on it. There should be blood. Touch the spot again. I fingered the contour of something small and hard and round. I pulled it out of my watch pocket. A dime. A dime. The tenth part of a dollar. All a man needed to buy a cup of coffee. To make a phone call. To pay a fine in a kangaroo court. To save his life. And I'd had it all the time. I had had it all the time. starred in William N. Robeson's production of Chicken Feed by Lawrence Goldman. Listen. Listen again next week when we bring you Francis' letter in Escape to Death. Another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Supporting Mr. Bridges and Chicken Feed were Amzie Strickland, Betty Groverly, Ted DeCorsa, Lou Krugman, Jack Crucian, Charlie Lung, Lou Merrill, and Dick Legrand. 